I didn't see too many of you in that uh, teaching that uh, Rinpoche gave last weekend. Uh, but uh, something one, uh, it was a wonderful teaching, uh, completely focused on, on the sutra path. And what it uh, brought to mind was a uh, a sense, of uh, a sense of appreciation of what it is to be a bodhisattva. And I've sort of been talking about uh, um, motivation lately and sort of trying to make a distinction, a fine distinction between uh, what is called Hinayana motivation and Mahayana motivation. And especially if after you've been associating with what it might be called Mahayana tradition, uh, you might think that either you know what Mahayana motivation is already and you're aspiring to it. Oh, thank you. It's not to, uh, no, because uh, sort of like I lost, I, I don't have any more ideas about what else to talk about, so we go back to, <laughs> <laughs> to the beginning. But uh, especially to address, if, if, if this is your, your uh, somewhat beginning contact with Mahayana tradition, sort of start uh, with a deeper appreciation of it. And if you already had contact with the Mahayana traditions, so for you to have a, for you to sort of look, look back and really see where you stand in, in, in terms of understanding of what is the Mahayana motivation. Do you really have it? And the motivation that you have, what you're aspiring after, what you're doing in your practice, is it really Mahayana, even though you might be reciting what are called Mahayana texts, Mahayana prayers, even though you might uh, be doing uh, even so-called uh, high-level Mahayana practices, are you really a Mahayanist? Okay. So, uh, the text that Rinpoche uh, went over last weekend was called the King of Prayers, and I talked and I sort of gave you a, a little background idea about it last time. And there are some verses in there that I think that we recite in our Mahayana prayers, and it's supposed to be our Mahayana, uh, as part of Mahayana aspirations. And I thought I should uh, uh, 
over, it's, no, it's a lot, so I'm not going to go over every single thing in there. But just some, other, some maybe two or three uh, verses. So it begins with the preliminaries, of course, prostration, uh, confessing, and then everything else. And up to the point where the verse is asking, um, uh, O Master is wishing to show Parinirvana, stay with us and teach, I pray. Okay, understandable. And the last two verses, the last two uh, uh, lines of that verse, for as many eons as there are specks of dust in order to bring goodness and joy to all beings. And this request is made to, uh, first of all, we have to sort of understand uh, exactly who is the object of this request. Okay. Who is the object of this request? So we think, oh, it's my teacher, the guy or the lady who I go to every once in a while. I'm asking that person to stay in what form? What does that mean to stay? It means to stay in their physical body. Not just, no, until I die, don't die. But you're asking them to stay in their physical body. And in this, in, in this verse, and it might seem to be uh, completely just poetic, but that, is, that is, has nothing to do with any, any sense of reality whatsoever. You're asking somebody, practically asking someone, stay in the physical body for how long? As many. as many eons as there are specks of dust. As many eons. You know how long is an eon? <laughs> you know how many specks of dust there are? For each speck of, speck of dust, you have to stay an eon. And you're asking that person to stay for that long. Either this verse was this idea of asking a teacher to stay for that long just came up, we just came up with the idea a few years ago. Okay. That's why we haven't really seen a teacher who's at least 500 years old, who's been living in their physical body for 500 years. If there is such a teacher, that teacher is hiding himself or herself, at least from my, from my ability to perceive, or, there is something else that is being expressed in this, in this, in this request. And when you're you, uh, uh, making this request, what is in your mind? Do you really believe it? When you ask the teacher to stay for as many eons as there are specks of dust, do you really believe what you're saying? Do you believe that it's possible? for somebody to stay in the physical body for that long? Okay, this is one question. Right. And don't forget, this person that you're asking this, you're asking, uh, uh, you're making this request to, is somebody that one day you hope to become. So you're requesting, in a sense, or you're aspiring to one day to be able to stay, to be somewhere and stay in a physical body for as many eons as there are, there are specks of dust. Mm -hmm. 
you're making that, you're, you're aspiring to that also. Okay. And of course, when you, uh, there are a lot of uh, explanations that are given, and you know, I mean, the obvious thing that comes to my mind is, uh, did it just make this verse up a few years ago? Uh, this verse actually supposedly came from the sutra. That means, what does that mean, sutra? At least at the time of the Buddha, 2,500 years old. At least. So, there should be a master somewhere, at least one person who will say, okay, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Alright? And who should be at least 2,000 years old. And if you look around and you look for the 2,000-year-old master, you say, that's the person I want to study under. And you don't see that person, then what's going to happen to your mind? Discouragement. Discouragement. And, uh, and not in just in a sense of, oh, can't find that person, I'm a loser, but more in a sense of, this stuff doesn't really work. There's nobody like that. This kind of stuff cannot work. Okay. So, another, what, what, if you start having that kind of thought, then you want to, then you want to stay because you don't want to be bad. You want to, you don't want to be someone who don't believe, <laughs> right? You want to be somebody who can go around and say, "I believe in that." So, how do you trick yourself to understand this? So you start saying, oh, it's me, it's my, it's my bad karma, I don't have the karma to see somebody like that. That person could be just be the guy I met the, the other day in, in the subway. I just don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm, the, the entire world may be surrounded by people who are, you know, 5,000 years old. And how do you know when, you have, when you've met someone who wasn't 5,000 years old, when you hear that, oh, that person just passed, oh, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't one of them. <laughs> okay. Or when you see somebody, you know, just just born, okay, and you say, ah, okay. Uh, then, without knowing it, you start living. The spiritual path becomes mm, this kind of strong sentiment. I'm going to say it becomes a fantasy. Something, what is a fantasy? Something that you think about and you know, you know, will never be real. But you think about it anyway. So the spiritual, the spiritual path becomes a fantasy. Oh yeah, one day I'll be, <laughs> yeah, I'll live in a body for as many eons as uh, the specks of dust. Yeah. I aspire to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And, or, and when you, when you start thinking along the line of you want to stay, you don't want to be bad, you, you start to uh, tell yourself, oh, I'm, I'm bad, it's because I have bad karma, that's why I can't see them. They're right there in my face and I can't see them. I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. Then you start to develop a, 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 what you might call a spiritual uh, lack of self-confidence. Everybody else can do it, but I can't. Okay. 
and that's it. If you really believe that, then you can't call yourself Mahayanis. Because Mahayanis is a, you're aspiring for stuff, for things which are impossible to even imagine. And you're supposed to believe, just like you, you see things in your, uh, in your realm of reality that you concretely believe in. You're supposed to concretely believe in these things and the goals of these, uh, of these aspirations. You're supposed to concretely believe that there are beings who live this way. We can say, okay, I'll, uh, I'll live for, for an eon. I'll stay in this body for an eon. You're supposed to be concretely believe in that. And not just believe in it because you're supposed to, it's in the book somewhere, but if someone were to challenge you, you would, in that belief, you would run away from them or, you know, or make them shut up, make them uh, not challenge you. You should, be, you should feel confident enough that if someone challenges you to defend that, that you'll be able to defend it. And if you cannot defend it to your own self, then you have to somehow get yourself to believe that this thing is possible. Uh, oh, sorry. There you go. Um, oh, oh yeah. I'll get back to this later. Now, this, the person who actually uh, pronounced these words was, uh, we are convinced, we have faith, was a, was a high-level practitioner, very, very high-level practitioner. So this person already made these aspirations. Okay. And this person also aspired, and we want to make the same aspiration. For as long as Buddha feels and directions, I don't know, that's probably a, not a good translation. May I strive to quell the misery of the lower realms. May I place all beings only in happiness and bring them all, bring them all only happiness and joy. And this verse, I think, uh, probably we don't have time to continue, but this is the verse. Uh, I think we get uh, mixed up with. We get, no, not mixed up, messed up about. So you want to be able to bring yourself to a state where you're bringing happiness to everyone. And there's a thing in there, you want to take those beings who are in the lower realms out of the lower realm. And you want to do this so that there's not a being left in existence in the universe who's not fully happy who's not completely uh, in, uh, in joy. Okay. 
Now, this aspiration takes, takes something into consideration sometimes that we may not be aware of. Uh, the, the sign that someone is of Mahayana lineage, not necessarily that person is necessarily a Mahayana person yet. A sign is a sense of compassion, a sense of concern, a sense of being disturbed when you see suffering. And you get disturbed to a point where it, it bothers you when you see suffering. And you want to do something about it. And you try to understand suffering at some level. You will really want to understand it. And there's this state called Buddhahood where that's supposed to help with that understanding. So we think that when we become enlightened, we will not we will be in a state where we are no longer bothered, we're no longer disturbed by suffering. And what does that look like? No longer disturbed, no longer bothered by suffering. Does that mean that we no longer see beings who are suffering, therefore we, we, we don't have to worry about being bothered by them? If we are aspiring to that, then we are not Mahayanas. What does the verse say? The verse say, may I bring beings to, to happiness. Who are you going to bring to happiness if they're not suffering? If, they're, if they are already happy? Who are you going to bring out of the lower realm if there's no being in the lower realm for it that you're seeing? So this, this aspiration is Wherever beings are suffering, may I know, may I see them, may I fully appreciate, understand the, the condition of their suffering, and may I be empowered to take them out of that state. Right now, your compassion your, uh, for, these, for this situation is such that you so much want them to be free of it, and you look into yourself, you don't see that you have the ability to free them then the thing you, the, the psychological uh, uh, reaction that you have to it is, I don't want to see it. And then we extrapolate from that, a Buddhahood is when you don't see it anymore. And we aspire to that Buddhahood. Buddhahood is not that. Buddhahood is where you, where you, not only do you see this one person once in a while, who is in deep suffering, but wherever in the universe someone is in deep suffering, not only do you know it just by you know, looking over there, but you have a sense of feeling it in your, own, in your own being. And you might think, wait a minute, Buddhas don't feel suffering. Buddhas don't see suffering. That's a result of bad karma. Buddhas don't have bad karma. Then, well, <laughs> then, this, this wasn't a high practitioner. He completely misunderstood it. Why is he aspiring to go, to go take beings out of the lower realms? 
you should be aspiring, may I, never, may I don't see beings in the lower realms anymore. Why is he aspiring to bring beings to happiness? You should be aspiring, may everyone, be, may everyone I see, may they already be happy. The, remember the, the seven, is it seven? Well, one of those lists of numbers <laughs> where you're supposed to uh, develop bodhicitta. Seven, right? Seven. Yeah. And one of, them, one, of the, one of the important steps in there is to take responsibility. And what is that responsibility for? That you're not going to wait for someone to, go to help sentient beings become happy. You're going to do it yourself. So, in that, you're supposed to have a strong sense of ego. I mean, how many sentient beings are there? Not just, you know, I'm going to help everybody in my family become happy. Whoever is suffering, wherever they are suffering, whether, they're, 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 whether that person exists in this time, or that person exists in the future some, somewhere, I'm going to help that person become happy. I'm going to help that person be free of their suffering. And how are you going to help them become free of their suffering if you can't see their suffering? And how are you going to aspire to help them free, become free of their suffering if you don't have an appreciation of what suffering is? So your first step is to just, is to know suffering. Next time you're suffering, in case you're not suffering now, next time you're suffering, the, the instinct to run away, hold it, hold it, hold it back. Have that, what you were developing uh, in, the, in the preliminaries, just watching what's going on, have that state of mind be present, be very present. If it's like uh, that instinct to run away, you're telling it, okay, if you really, what is there what is really there for me to run away from? Let me really know it. And when you really know, it, when you really know this thing, and you really see it as something to run away from, then you will have naturally developed renunciation. You will have naturally developed the sense. What is renunciation? Avoiding the condition, the causes that brings about this, 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 this situation. You will naturally avoid, avoid those things. You will not be uh, struggling and fighting anymore. The struggling and fighting is to convince yourself that this is really something to avoid. The struggling and fighting that you may experience is really wanting to look at it. And if it makes you uh, cry or, you know, all, all the tears that you have, let it make you cry. Look at it. And when you, once you are able to truly appreciate it for what it is, then when you see it in someone else, that same reaction of wanting to, uh, to, to, be, to be far away from it, you will have that same Send that same uh, that same reaction for that person. 
And that very sense of appreciating it will give you, believe it or not, the clarity that you need how to slowly come to know how to become free from it. Running away from it is not going to help you come to know how to, how, how to become free of it. It's to really see it, really look at it. And this is where the Bodhisattva becomes uh, a monumentally incredible being. A Bodhisattva is somebody who truly appreciates and understands suffering. And not only do they appreciate it, do they understand it. It's that being who's willing to continue to see it. Uh, not willing to continue to experience it. Willing to continue to see it. Not because they love it. Not because they, now they have a, now they have a, they found a trick of liking it. The more they see it, the more they despise it. Because the more they see, really see it. And instead of making aspirations, ah, maybe in my own universe where I don't have to see this anymore. Where everyone around me is just a reflection of me. A bunch of happy people. A bunch of blissed out people. Okay. And women, isn't that supposed to be a Buddha's, Buddha's, Buddha's paradise? Uh, it seems to be that way. No, you're not supposed to make. That's aspiring to have to be, to live in a world like that is not bodhisattva. Your aspiration is to, even though you understand suffering, really understand it, because you really allowed yourself to see it. You're still willing to continue to see it. Because your, your campaign is to get rid of it, wherever it is, wherever you can find it. It's like your, uh, what's called that, that person? Somebody who's a, who cleans a lot. Not my nephew. Obsessive um. compulsive? Huh? Obsessive compulsive. Uh, obsessive compulsive. Okay. That, kind, that kind of personality, it's like you become an obsessive, comp obsessive compulsive with the universe. And the stain that you can't stand looking at is suffering. And obsessive compulsive person doesn't go somewhere, doesn't run away some, to somewhere else where it's clean. It goes out and clean it. Okay, that's, that, that's, that's your job as a, as a Buddha. And when would it happen? Well, forget about that verse about seeing that person in a, living in a body that, that's for uh, a thousand, thousands of years old. Uh, but that aspiration where everyone is free of suffering and everyone is happy, when is that going to happen? 
okay, I'll do it for three countless eons. After that, if there's still some people left who are suffering, that's their problem. <laughs> so, as a bodhisattva, you're supposed to make aspirations for things which seems which seem uh, physically, not physically, what's that word? Physics? Yeah. That seems to defy the law of physics. That is, that seems to defy what you're, what you're convinced is reality for now. And you aspire to them, nonetheless, with the same conviction as if you were going to Starbucks, you definitely know that you're going to find your latte. Okay. <laughs> with that same level of conviction, you're aspiring to one day be in a body where you can say, oh, I'll, I'm, I'm going to stay in this body for a few million years. And you aspire to one day, samsara will be, will be gone. You're supposed to aspire to, those kind, to these almost impossible things and be convinced that there are realities that they can be real. And, it's, and strangely enough, it is this very state of being able to hold in your mind these impossibilities that helps you become a Buddha. Somewhere in there, that if you count how many uh, beings there are, they are limitless. And the aspiration, uh, however many beings they are, they are limitless. I, I vow to free them all. The number is limitless and you're vowing to free every single one of them. Now tell me if that's not egotistical. That's <laughs> <laughs> somebody with a big ego. I mean, that's, a, that's a humongous ego. And it, it, it's not that you're thinking that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to team up with somebody Sadvaz, you know, and we're going to clean up the universe. We're going to have some Buddha with us. And, you know, your team is going to be just ninth level Bodhisattvas, maybe. <laughs> and you're going to clean up the universe. No, you're going to do it alone. The Buddhas may decide, okay, that's it. I'm tired. I've been doing this for, you know, three trillion countless eons, and I'm tired now. Go ahead. You finish it. <laughs> and he's supposed to say, okay, yeah. Alright, right, that's it. <laughs> so, let's examine our so-called Mahayana motivation. Do we really have it? Is it something worth getting? And yes, you can, if you want. You can have your own universe and everybody in there is just like you. Where you look, oh look at another me, how beautiful. Can you do both? Can you do both? What do you mean both? Like live in that universe but still also be emanating from pretty something. Well, that's, that, that, that's a being. That's not really both, it's one of them. But aren't you experiencing both as a Buddha, being that you're a omniscient? What was that? Are you? But can't you still experience both as a Buddha, being that you're a omniscient? 
so you know what you're doing in your Buddha field, and you know what you're doing as an emanation. Are you still experiencing your Buddha as a Buddha? No, I said like, can't you be can't you be doing both? Like you're a Buddha in a Buddha field, emanating a Bodhisattva, and um, you're experiencing both because you're omniscient. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but what I'm saying is that what you just described mm -hmm. is just one of them. It's not both. When you're a Buddha in your own personal world, your country, which is a, a universe, it's perfectly pure and you have only only perfect beautiful wonderful experiences and even though in your own per like you know, when you go home you know it's all the furniture that you like you know? okay so the Buddha has his house which is his universe he goes to where he stays and then he goes out and then he goes uh, does he does Buddha work he goes and rescue beings who are suffering so that, that's what you mean by both. Yeah, and can he do it at the same time? But, it's in, but that's, that's what a Buddha does. Right, so then, I, I don't know, I'm sorry, I was, uh, maybe I'm confused, maybe I'm feeling like there's like this separation, like pick one or the other, when I was thinking do both. Oh yeah, it, it, no, the you, you, well, the, you can pick, uh, okay, that's one. The other, which you find to, other than the Buddha, Buddha field is, being in samsara. Right. Okay, you can, if, I mean, we've all, we can all choose to be in samsara forever. Okay. As a, but as a bodhisattva. No. O only regular people like, no, I'm not going to say the word. <laughs> Start with an S. <laughs> and continue with an M, never mind. <laughs> only regular people like us stay in samsara. Now, staying in samsara, I mean, continue to experience the condition that you don't want to experience, and you continue to create the cause to experience that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's being in samsara. Okay. Uh, or you can be uh, someone who, where you don't see anyone suffering anymore. That's it. For the rest of your existence, the... Not even the idea of someone suffering comes to your mind. And then wherever you go, in your own universe, wherever you go, that's all you see. Things that are blissful. Who would that person be? What, would, what kind of being would that be? That, that, that is the person that is uh, the, someone who has achieved what is called Hinayana Nirvana. Oh, so that's the, okay. Okay. That's the oh, you thought I was describing a Buddha field. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my mistake. That's what I'm trying to understand. So you're saying the Hinayanas from view when they reach their nirvana, um, that's all they would see. But being like a Mahayana's Buddha, you'd be able to do both, where you're emanating and you're also in the Buddha field. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but is the Buddha field limited? Limited in what sense? You can't, they can't see the Buddha is in the Buddha field. They can't, they're, they don't have omniscience? Of course they have omniscience. Then how can they just see what they see in the Buddha field? How can they see what they see? Oh, the, the Hanayanas? The, how can they just see what they see in the Buddha field? Can they see everything beyond the Buddha field? Oh yeah, they see everything beyond the Buddha field. Then why is the Buddha field considered just a Buddha field? Oh, the thing is, when we are aspiring, when we, we think we are Mahayanas aspiring to become a Buddha, what in, in essence, all we want is that nice body that the Buddha has, 
that nice. We want, his, we want his house. We want the Buddha's house. <laughs> we want to live there. <laughs> and we don't want to come out that neighborhood. <laughs> we want to stay there in that house, in that neighborhood. That's what we, and we think that's achieving Buddhahood. Like cribs. fully enlightened Buddha, the idea that we have is that when you reach that, now you're fully enlightened Buddha, in your own personal world that you, you create through your karma, through your actions, your own personal world is perfect. Okay. It's like imagine the perfect house that you want and finally you get it. It's like that. Okay. But still, your house is in the country, is in a, there are bad neighborhoods over there, there are ugly houses over, over there, okay? No. <laughs> so even though there are Buddha fields everywhere, which are perfect places to be, there's still samsara, okay? And to aspire to just see the Buddha field is like aspiring to live in that house and never go out in the neighborhood. Okay, you go in the yard, you know, look at your garden, you go back in the house. Okay. And you want to be, uh, to aspire to be in a Buddha field where you don't see suffering is like wanting to stay in the house forever. Okay. Now, if they see, eventually, you're aspiring for that impossibility that you see as completely possible. One day, there will be no samsara. And I'm, I'm working for that. How long will it take? Don't ask yourself that question. You're going to be disappointed. <laughs> okay. And don't try to... Uh, I'm call it tricking yourself to stay by reinterpreting it in some strange way. Like, oh, it really, so Buddhahood is like... Uh, all this samsara was an illusion, and you no longer see that. You no longer, you no longer see that illusion anymore. You no longer see because the illusion was to see sentient beings suffering. That was the illusion, and you're free of it. Don't trick yourself to, to do that. You will not get to be a Buddha if you hold on to that thought. You will become a Buddha if you see the number of sentient beings who are suffering. I cannot count. And I want to continue to see whoever is suffering. And I want to be empowered to help them. Okay. Yes? Um, how does that go with uh, what I've often heard, which is that if you see suffering, it's, uh, it's really uh, suffering that's uh, inside of you, or it's your own karma that's caused the suffering that you see in others? Yeah. I will answer that question by asking you another question. <laughs> Who told us about the hells? The what? Who told us about the hells? The Who described hells. them? Who described them? Who described them? I mean, as far as Buddhists are concerned. The Buddha 
He described it. It wasn't somebody who came and said, oh, Buddha, do you know there's some there's a place called the realm? The hell realm? The Buddha saw them and described them. He was seeing suffering. Was that his bad karma that was seeing the, 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 bad, the hell realms? Or was he seeing what they say Buddha see, what exists? When you see suffering and you're able to empathize with it, that's a sign of spiritual evolution. And when it bothers you the same way as if you know you have a a thorn in, in, in your in your in your flesh, you you're even more evolved. And it's a state you have to go through where you see yourself powerless. This powerlessness is supposed to drive you to get the power, not to go back from not being able to feel it anymore, to see it anymore. When you see suffering and it bothers you, you are a highly evolved being. When you feel it as though you're the one who's suffering, you're even more evolved. And the sense of powerlessness you feel is to drive you to, I gotta become a Buddha. Not so that one day you don't feel it anymore. So that one day you're able to do something about it. Okay. And if this is scaring you, it should. <laughs> if there's a thorn in your flesh, I'm going to stop after this. If there's a thorn in your flesh, and you know how it feels, is that, is that a knowledge? Is that something that is known? And what is a Buddha? What is, what, is the, what is the principal characteristic of a Buddha that, this, that distinguishes the Buddha from all kinds of beings? Omniscience. What, is, what does it mean to be omniscient? To know all knowledge. And the Buddha is supposed to know it even better than you know it. So if there is suffering somewhere, the Buddha knows it even better than the person who is suffering. So if you are seeing suffering, Consider it to be, if it's not your own suffering that you, you know, sometimes we see our own suffering and we dive into it. But when you see suffering out there, I'm not talking about that self, I'm not, I'm not equating out there as self-existent, you know, just the experience of perceiving suffering and we experience as it, as seeing it out there. That's a sign of maturity. Spiritual, you're, you're evolved <coughs> spiritually. And you can continue. Continue. And there will be times when you will be in extreme pain. It's not yours. Someone else's. It's not your bad karma. It's your incredible great karma that allows you to do that, to have that knowledge. So whoever's putting that stuff about when you see suffering, it's your bad karma, to that person, I said, <laughs> <laughs> the sutra says. <laughs> okay. Now ask the person that question. If it is bad karma to see suffering, then 
then the Buddha must have the worst bad karma ever. Because he's the one who... This, I mean, do you see hells right now? I don't see them. That guy who's supposed to be omniscient is talking to me about suffering that I can't even imagine. And he's seeing it directly. But he must have incredibly bad karma. He has worse karma than I do. I don't see those hells right now. So it must mean something else. Okay, so it's past the time. Supposed to be out of here already. <laughs> so you're going to meditate backwards in time. <laughs> okay? So just go back to that point where you became, your mind became one with the object of your aspiration. feel your mind quieting and yet a sense of alertness getting stronger just stay in that state and if you feel the need to do something with the mind so expand your idea of what is it that you want Why do you want that?
bring your attention back to the breath. Let your heart embrace every being everywhere. And give them whatever sense of peace you experienced. dedicate the merits of tonight to the experience, to the achievement of your ultimate goal. Being aware of the breath, slowly become aware of the body again. <clears throat> this is really the last thing. <laughs> uh, this is what I would like. This is really the point of what I would like you to avoid as Mahayanis, or as somebody who aspires to be Mahayanis, is to avoid having the thought that I am a Mahayanis and understanding, oh, I need to collect merit. And you do this, not you, but you know, you don't want to, you don't want to become that kind of person, where. Oh, I need to collect merit so I can have that shiny Buddha feel and I have that shiny body. I need to go help people who are suffering. And what you end up doing is that you're using beings who are suffering so that you can elevate yourself. And you believe that you're a high being called a Mahayanis. Suffering shouldn't be something that you can use so you can become a Buddha. People's suffering is not something for you to, to help you elevate yourself. Okay. Oh, there's somebody suffering over there. I'm going to go get some merit. Let me go help that person. You're not helping the person. You're helping yourself. Okay. And you're not going to get to Buddhahood that way. You must have a true concern for suffering and true concern for helping them. Okay? Without any idea of thinking, I'm going to get some merit. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>